Lifespring, good morning. How are you guys doing today? You're doing good? It's so good to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. And uh, those of you tuning in online, we also want to welcome you. You know, it feels like such a long time, at least for me, between COVID and the trip we took to Salt Lake City last week. Uh, it's been such a long time. And while I was going through COVID, man, I just want to say thank you for your prayers, uh, your messages, your emails and acts of care. We truly, truly appreciate all of you who reached out to us. And then uh, I mentioned Salt Lake City. We'll be talking about the team that went down to Salt Lake City. We had an amazing time down there serving and learning a lot. And we'll be speaking a little bit more about that trip next Sunday. So you don't want to miss it. And this morning, we'll be continuing in our series call Summer School. Summer School. And man, has that title gotten under some of our skins. And I get it, kids. I'm like currently in summer school, and it's the last thing I want to be doing. But the lessons I'm learning are important to my walk with Christ, but also when it comes to leading and serving as a pastor. And I believe there are important things that the Lord has for each of us as we go through this series. So we're doing summer series, right? Let's try that again. Man, man. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Why are you excited about this series? We're doing summer series, right? All right. That's much better. That's much better. Also, doesn't this stage look amazing? Hmm? Can you just give a round of applause to our programming team and all those who have helped to make this possible? As well, we, there's so many things happening. We're going into summer, and often it's one of the times when you think like things slow down, but we've been so busy here at LifeSpring. Even this week, there, we had a bunch of volunteers out at Edgewood Picnic, and I believe we had about 20 volunteers out there. Thank you guys so much for serving. We just prayed for our leaders who are going out. That's not everyone. I believe we have like 17 people who are going from LifeSpring. Man. You guys are working hard. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and for the so many ways you're serving. So last Sunday, Pastor Dan got us started with daily Christian living. And today we're going to be looking at Finances 101. And before we get started here, let's take a quick look at this video. See if you'd turn your attention to the screen. Oh, I could. Well, maybe just a bite. Oh, yeah! Oh, bye! Don't forget the interest.
dude, he brought the pie. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for your word. And it's always a great time when we can learn from your words from Scripture, Father. So encourage us by your word, God. Instruct us by your word this morning, God. Challenge us by your word, Father. And we look forward to that which you have in store for us today. Amen and amen. You know, the Bible carries a great deal of warnings about money. And I'll just run through a bunch of scriptures here. Proverbs 23, 4, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Hebrews 13:5 to 6 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you so we say with confidence the Lord is my helper I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me Now I know that most people are not listening to these warnings for a following reasons I did some research this week, and I like statistics. Any of you like statistics? It's kind of, it kind of informs you and lets you know where things are at. So here we go. 91% of Americans make more money than ever before. But 77% of Americans report feeling anxious about their financial situation. 58% feel that finances control their lives. 52% have difficulty controlling their money-related worries. So let's talk finances. You know, when you take everything that we now call mine, you're going to discover, if you haven't already, what I now know, and that is, nothing is mine. You take everything that you think you own, that you think is yours, and, and some of you, hopefully, you got a handout, with some blanks in there and you got a pen and so if you're taking notes and you're filling that out now would be a good time to reference that uh, piece of paper because I'll be having some fill in the blanks here for you and so you take everything that you think you own that you think is yours and one of two things is going to happen to it you're either going to lose it while you are alive or you're going to leave it once you're dead that's very encouraging right <laughs> it's very encouraging you're like pastor jesse i came here this morning to be encouraged you're talking about i'm going to lose it and you're going to leave it once i'm dead 
But that is why there is a principle that Jesus taught concerning all that we have or all that we think we have. And I dare say that it may be the single most important principle about you, our finances, and our stuff that we will ever learn. And I call it the treasure principle. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be up on the screen for you. The Bible talks about money more than 800 times. And you can pretty much summarize what the Bible says about money in the treasure principle. And, as you're, and you're going to breathe a sigh of relief when I tell you this. as It's not so much about giving your money as it is about managing your money. It comes directly from the lips of Jesus, and it's probably the most brilliant financial advice you will ever be given in your life. Essentially, it's this, and this is going to be a key takeaway of today. And again, you can fill these in on that piece of paper. You cannot manage your money until you master your money. You cannot manage your money until you master your money. The reason why millions of people listen to Clark Howard and Dave Ramsey is because they do not know how to manage their money. The reason why they don't know how to manage their money is because they have never mastered their money. See, once we understand the treasure principle and how to apply it to your life, you will experience real financial freedom and joy in your life like you never have before. And with all due respect... I mean, it's good to learn from people like Dave Ramsey and to learn from other resources and how we can improve things. But Jesus knows more about finances than Dave Ramsey and Clark Howard and million authors like them put together. Here's this simple advice that Jesus gives. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So point number one, and again, you can fill this in there if you're taking notes. Be strategic in where you put your wealth. Be strategic in where you put your wealth. Interestingly, in the Greek language, the words layup and treasures use the same Greek term. And it is a verb that gives us the English word thesaurus. And you know what a thesaurus is, right? It's a treasury of words. Therefore, what Jesus literally was saying, do not treasure your treasures. And what is a treasure? Well, it's anything that has a price tag. If you can see it, touch it, measure it, buy it, or enjoy it. It has the potential to become a treasure. And if you listen carefully, Jesus makes it very plain. It is not wrong to have money. It is not wrong to have treasures because you can't lay up what you don't have. Furthermore, we've already established that what we do have, God gave it to us to begin with. So if it was wrong to have money, to have cars, to have houses, to have clothes, we would really have to blame God because... God is the one that gives it to us. But the key phrase here are these two words, on earth. Jesus is not dealing with having stuff, but storing stuff. 
In other words, Jesus is concerned with where you are laying it up. It's not what you have, but it's where it's going. Why shouldn't we lay up treasures on earth? Hmm? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is, it won't last. Say these three words with me. Everything will go. Everything will go. When Jesus referred to treasure, people in Bible days would have understand that to refer to either clothing, food, or money. Wealthy people wore the finest clothes, but it could be eaten by moths. Rich people had food, mainly in the form of grain and meat, but rats and worms could get into a person's grain and eat it. In fact, the word rust also means to eat. That's what it means. Then people had wealth in the form of gold and silver, but there were no banks or vaults back in the day, and you could only keep your money in your house. But houses were made of clay and mud, and thieves could easily break through the wall and steal it. But Jesus was saying, be careful that you don't put your treasure in what can be ruined, rotted, and robbed. We have those things in this life today. See, you can put your money in blue chip stocks. You know, trusted companies whereby they'll pay you back dividends. You can put your cash in a state-of-the-art vault or a government-backed bank. You can invest it in the finest real estate in the world. You can put it in rare pictures to hang on your wall. But one day, it will either be taken away from you, or you will be taken away from it. Do you know why? Look to the person next to you and tell them everything will go. Come on, you got to look to the person next to you. Like, come on, see who's next to you. Everything will go. Everything will go. A great example of that is leasing a car. There's a big difference between owning a car and leasing a car. If you buy a car, once the payments are up, you own it. If you lease a car, when the lease is up, you have to turn the car back in. Church, listen carefully. All we have is a lease on life. When the lease is up, you have to turn it all back in. We don't get to keep anything. So why then is Jesus so concerned, not about what we have, but where we put it? Well, he tells us in one simple statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are certain laws and principles you can't break. Like you can't break the law of gravity. You can demonstrate it, but you can't break it. Let me tell you another principle that you can't break. And it's just another way of putting this verse. Where my treasure goes, my heart will flow. Our heart will always follow our treasure. It doesn't matter what I say to you or what you say to me. Our heart will always follow that which we treasure. So be strategic in where we put our money. Point two, be wise in how you perceive your wealth. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So why does Jesus go from being a financial counselor to an ophthalmologist? hmm? 
Like, like what in the world does your eye have to do with your wealth? Jesus calls the eye the lamp of the body. Jesus is not giving an anatomical lesson on how the eye works. He's not talking about the physical eye. He's talking about the spiritual eye. Someone has called the eye the window to the soul. Here, the eye is pictured as a window through which light comes into the body. If a window is clean and a glass is clear, the light that comes in will properly light every part of that room. If the window is dirty or a glass is discolored, the light will be hindered and the room will be dark. What Jesus is telling us here is the light that comes into our soul and into our heart will depend strictly on the spiritual condition of our eye. And the spiritual condition of our eye determines how we see money in the physical. See, Jesus is concerned with how you see what you have. How you see what you have. Because how you see what you have will determine not only what you do with it, but it will determine what it does to you. Here's the way it works. If you see wealth the way God sees wealth, then I won't have to say anything to you about giving to God's work. Each of us will gladly, gratefully, and generously invest in God's work. You will gladly give to God's work because you will realize that what you have was given to you not to bless you, but to be a blessing. And yes, we are to enjoy those things that the Lord has blessed us us with, but you will gratefully give to God's work because you will realize that everything you have came from God to begin with. And you will generously give to God's work because you realize that when you do give to God's work, you're laying up treasures in heaven. You guys all right? We so quiet. Is it getting hot in the room? The AC is on. It's working. Trust me. It is. It's working. Jesus was not interested in a person's pocketbook, checkbook, bank account, or credit cards. Jesus was interested in a person's heart. What concerns Jesus is not the amount that you have, but the attitude that you have toward the amount that you have. If your eye is healthy and you perceive your money correctly, then everything else will fall into place. So be wise in how you perceive your wealth. Point three, we're moving fast. Be careful in how you position your wealth. Be careful in how you position your wealth. Jesus closes with this statement, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The point is real simple. Either you're a master of your money, or you're mastered by your money. You can work for more than one employer, but you cannot serve two masters. You can have two jobs, but you cannot serve two masters. There are certain things in life nobody can do. You cannot walk in two directions at the same time. And you cannot serve two masters at the same time. This isn't a statement of advisability. Jesus did not say you should not serve both God and mammon. It is not a question of accountability. Jesus did not say you must not serve both God and mammon. Rather, it is a matter of impossibility. 
You cannot serve God and money. Jesus doesn't need our money. It is already His. Jesus wants our heart because when our hearts are surrendered to Him, then we're able to surrender our money, our wealth, our time, our talent, and all the stuff to Him. Before I continue here at this time, I'd, we have someone who will be sharing a short testimony with us. I'd, I'd like to call Hollis up to the stage. Would you give him a round of applause as he makes his way up here? And Hollis was sharing recently with uh, Pastor Dan his testimony, and uh, I got to hear that testimony. We thought it would be good to hear from Hollis this morning. Tell us a little bit about your testimony. 1994, my partners in my business decided they were going to go their separate ways. I'd never sown anything. I ran the business. I chased materials. They, the first one left in June. The second one left the end of July. Told me when he came in July he was going to leave. I told my landlord I'd be out by the end of August. He said, I'll, I'll reduce your rent. I'll be out by the end of August. I moved everything to my house. I got that all there about, yeah, about the last week of August. And then I kneel, got kneeled down. And I prayed. My home was in foreclosure. I was more than three months behind in my payments. I owed between the state and the IRS over $20,000 in back taxes. And I prayed to God, and the only thing I said was every dollar that I make, that first 10 cents is going to go to tithe, and that will go to church the following Sunday. And I will not fail. And I always round up to make sure I don't fail again. I failed once before, and he punished me. I'm hoping that my lung cancer was a punishment for I've made a promise I won't, I'll quit smoking cigarettes, and I failed on that one. But after that prayer, I started looking for work. The first week in September, a man named Clementi called me. I'd done jobs for him before, probably over the last 70, that's previous seven years. I think I did five restaurants for him. He started the Port of Guarda chain. He only had one at the time I met his wife. That's how I got the business. And uh, I'd done five restaurants for him. He gave me a call. He says, can you meet with me and Sergio, his son, over here at the, at the Gig Harbor restaurant? I said, sure. So when I met with him, they laid out these plans. They're going to build a new restaurant in Port Orchard. They built the building and everything. It was a big job. Not only was it a Mexican-style booth or American-style booth they had to make from bottom up, but it's a $27,000 job. And the cost of materials I was going to use was between seven thousand dollars. I had that you know, and I had to have it done by Christmas. I started that in September. I delivered in the first of December all by myself. I mean I, I was own employee and I never sold anything before. I was on my own. It didn't take long to learn though. It, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. But long story short, I haven't looked back since then. But those ties are paid all the time. Thank you, Hollis. So I asked Hollis to share that testimony, testimony with us this morning, not because we're talking about 
This is a quick way to get rich or to find wealth. I, told, I asked him to speak that testimony because when we partner with God in our finances, we cannot lose. He is a sure investor in anything we do when we partner with God in our finances or anything else in our life. He is a sure investor. What a powerful testimony of God's faithfulness in his life. And I'm sure we can go around this room and we'll have so many testimonies of God's faithfulness in our lives. This is not to condemn you. It's not. I know what it's like to be pinching pennies. I know what it's like to be living off of one salary in a marriage. I know what it's like to not knowing where the next, how you're going to pay the next bill or how you're going to do that. So many of us have walked that path. I want to encourage you, man. Partner with God in your finances. Partner with Him. And so on the heels of that, there are a few more statistics I have here for you. There's been a 27-year decline in the percentage of income that Christians give to charity. In a 2021 research by nonprofits source, they found out that tithers represent about 10 to 25% of congregations. In this survey, 17% of Americans responded that they tithe regularly. Tithe statistics reveal that most tithers, 7 to 7%, donate 11 to 20% of their income. The tithing percentage is much higher than the baseline of 10%. That's amazing. But that's about 10 to 25% of congregations across the U.S. Additionally, 17% of American families have reduced the amount that they give to their local church. 7% of churchgoers have dropped regular giving by 20% or more. And Christians are giving at 2.5% of income. During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. These are statistics today. I tell you that not to shock you, not to guilt trip you, but that simply confirms to me what I know about many people in our country, and that is many people are under financial bondage. See, you don't have to be poor to be in financial bondage. Did you know that there is a tremendous difference between financial independence and financial freedom? I know people right now who are financially independent, but they are not financially free. Money has become their masters. And we see it in the stories of Hollywood. People who have attained such fame and garnered such wealth. And this will bring me happiness, but at the end of all that wealth, when they can afford everything... And more than everything they can ever buy in this life. You've seen that people turn to other vices in their lives. Or even to death. Now, I want to read another passage here for you. And it comes from Malachi 3, 7 to 8. We're going to be looking at some tools for money here. 
And there are two tools that you will need that are guaranteed to help you master your money. One is trusting. The other is tithing. They both go together, and one motivates the other. Let's read from Malachi chapter 3. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? And the context here is that Israel has a long track record of disobeying God. Like, we know that, right? Despite all of his blessings, these verses here are a reminder and an encouragement to Israel that God's covenant through Moses included positive promises in response to obedience. However, it also included negative consequences in response to defiance. And so that's the context here. Now, I'm not going to dwell on it too long But there's a principle here for us to learn. The only way you can rob someone is by taking something that belongs to them. And we've already established that none of our money is really any of our money because it all belongs to God. Therefore, giving begins with the tithe. The word tithe literally means tenth. God makes it very plain that the first dime of every dollar that he gives to you is to be given back to him. That is why tithing is the first step and the greatest step to being free from financial bondage and mastering your money rather than having it master you. Now, I know immediately there are always two or three objections when it comes to tithing. And the primary one, I'll just cover this one, usually goes something like this. Tithing is under the law and we're no longer under the law but under grace. Well, that is the truth, but it's not the whole truth. Because when you seek to take part of the truth and make it all of the truth, it ceases to be true. So the truth is we are under grace and we're not under the law. But because we are under grace, we are above the law. The hard fact is we ought to be willing to give more to God under grace than a Jew who had to give to God under the law. When we give God his tithe and make God our partner in our life, you will see what he does in your finances and in your life. That is why he says in Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. There's a promise in this verse, and it says, try me now in this, or test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if this verse is true, and we believe the word of God to be true, right? There can only be one reason why a Christian doesn't tithe, only one. And it's because she or he doesn't believe it. And now we're getting to where the robber meets the road. Hmm? See, tithing is not a matter of finances. It's a matter of faith. Tithing is not God's way of raising money. It's one of God's ways of growing us 
as Christians. I hope you'll understand what I'm about to tell you and really believe it. Tithing is not God's way of getting something from you or getting something from us. It is God's way of giving something to us. But let me hasten to add in that God's blessing is to be the result of tithing, not the reason for tithing. We ought to give to the Lord, not because it pays, because if that is the motivation, then it won't pay. We ought to give because it is what God has asked us to do, which is why it is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. We don't give for God's sake. We give for our sake. See, what tithing does is make God our financial partner. Because God says, when you obey me in the matter of tithing, you can test me in it. Therefore, the tithe is not really a debt we owe as much as it is a seed that we sow. Let's consider then some tips for money management. And I'm coming to the end here. The Bible has much to say about money matters because money matters. We all need it. Money matters to you because you need it. Money matters to God because he gives it. Money matters to Satan because he wants it. God has a plan for you and your money. He has a plan on how you are to accumulate it, how you are to assimilate it, and how you should allocate it. I want us all to take a lesson from the greatest financial advisor in the universe, God himself. And I want to help you apply the treasure principle in your life that we talked about earlier because we will never ever put god where he needs to be and money where it needs to be until we understand that our money is really his and here's how i want you to do that i want you to keep a running tab for the next two weeks next two weeks and you can do that on your phone we didn't have a printout for this but you can do that on your phone on a piece of paper maybe something that you can see and remember to write it down on I want you to keep a running tab for the next two weeks of everything, every time you spend any money and put where it goes. Maybe it's food, maybe it's clothing, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's a theater. And at the end of two weeks, be honest and ask yourself this question. Look at the things you've spent it on and how you've spent it. Am I a master of my money or am I being mastered by it? Then I want you to keep this thought in mind. If money is your master, you're headed for disaster. And we have some additional resources to help you here today. There's a screen, but also on that handout that we gave you, there are some links on there. And uh, if you have never lived by a budget before, I encourage you to start living by a budget. My wife and I, we live by a budget. And so if you go on that first link there, that says live by a budget, and it's from Digital Trends. These are free resources. You click on the link, and there are templates already for a weekly budget, for a college budget, for someone who isn't married, for a family, for a bi-weekly budget, for a monthly budget, for a year if you want to get that extensive. And so I encourage you to live by a budget. We bring our funds together. And these are the expenses we have. We take off the tithe and we allocate it and we save. And the reason, one of the reasons we live by a budget is because, let's say we've allocated something for grocery or something for going out. When that money runs out, it's out. We don't touch anything else. It's out. 
So if we didn't get it on the grocery list this week, then we'll wait until next week. If the money we've spent on eating out is finished, then we won't spend. We won't be going out anymore. We'll be finding what's in the fridge to eat. So I encourage you to live by a budget. There's also the envelope system. There's not just one way to do this. Envelope system, you take all your cash and you allocate it as well. Similarly for different things in your life. And this is a very, it's a very strict way of living in the sense that when the cash is finished, it's finished. And so there's resources there as well. If you click on that link, it will also take you to how to break down your finances, how to budget it out. Put in there how much you make. I tell you this, I beg you, don't let the devil sell you his lie about money. I encourage you, make it honestly. Invest it wisely. Give it generously unto the Lord. And finally, hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. Someone once said that when it comes to money, you can't win. If you focus on making it, you're materialistic. If you try to but don't make any, you're a loser. If you make a lot and keep it, you're a miser. If you make it and spend it, you're wasteful. If you don't care about making any, you're unambitious. If you make a lot and then still have it when you die, you are a fool for trying to take it with you. Friends, the only way to really win with money is through surrender. Surrender your heart to the Lord and then everything else will flow. So at this time, I'd like to invite the worship team. And I'll leave you with this. You and I need his blessing more than God needs our money. When we put God first in giving of our tithe and offerings, we're actually confessing our need for him. Let us be good stewards of what the Lord has blessed us with. Again, I don't want you to leave here condemned. I know what it's like to grow up on meager means. If we can't learn to tithe on a dollar, when all the finances come that we truly want, we won't know how to tithe on a hundred, on a thousand, on ten thousand, on a hundred thousand. So start small. Be faithful in little. You can trust Him as a financial investor. Amen.